Amen. Wasn't that good? So thankful for Scott sharing sharing that. It's sometimes in stories that things connect with us the, the most, but I know you're also wondering, but how did he have that quick wardrobe change? <laughs> like, it's really impressive, and uh, I don't understand it. And so some of you are going to be thinking about that, so let's just acknowledge that you're thinking about that right now, and, uh, and we'll move on from that. But he... Um, obviously knew a little bit about what's, what's coming up for us, this Waterside series that starts uh, next week, and so, and, and with the water event and things like that, there's a lot coming up in the uh, coming, coming weeks. Uh, it's, it's summer, this, this last week ushered in the first week of summer, and so next week, though, really, we get into summer mode with summer series times, so... Uh, and by the times, I really mean singular time, 10 a.m. And so join us online at 10 a.m. Join us in person at 10 a.m. Uh, there's actually room, and, and the great thing is, uh, if everyone came back from the cottage, uh, we'd pivot, we'd, we'd make room, uh, we, can, we can do that. And you know, we find that there's new guests every week, so we wanna welcome you if you're online or in person and you're, you're new here. Every single week, and, and summer is actually a time when people are on vacation, yes, but sometimes they're on vacation in Fredericton or they're moving, and so uh, we're going to make room for, for anyone who wants to join us. I'm really excited about the series to come as well. It's been good to be in this one, but I, I'm already thinking ahead for the coming weeks, and so the next uh, little, little while will be, whether it's on the water or by the water or involving water, that's, that's going to be kind of uh, uh, the, the point. And one of the exciting parts of that is back. Baptism Sunday. And so that's going to be on July the 24th, and we're going to go down to the river as we do pretty much every summer. And uh, if you haven't been baptized yet, what a great time to do it. And this is for all ages. Some people think it's just for young people. It's, it's not. Uh, just last year, we, we baptized a, a senior, and, and we would do that any time we're ready. It's, you know that baptism is that outward kind of expression of an inward change. We believe it's the next step. If you've received Christ, if you believe in what he's done for you and you've received him, we want to dunk you. We want to put you under the water. What does that represent? Well, it represents his death and burial. When you come up out of that water, it represents resurrection, new life. There's already a change that's happened in you, but symbolically this happens. And what's cool is that John the Baptist, we know uh, in, in all four gospel accounts, you, you, you hear that he's the one baptizing people and then Jesus comes to him and on all four accounts you see that Jesus is baptized too, even though John's like, well, no, I should be baptized by you. And, uh, and there's, there's a point in that, and so we're kind of following uh, in his um, uh, kind of footsteps in, in a way. We're, we're following in, in his obedience to that. It was a, a plan for, from the Father. And so even though he wasn't the first person to do it, he, he still kind of initiated that. It's something where he instituted that, and so he also commanded us to go into all the world and baptize people as we're making disciples. And so it's really symbolic. We want you to be a part of this. So talk to any one of us about this. And in the coming days, if, if you've already decided, well, let's put you on the list and let's dunk you. Let's do that. And we're going to celebrate all together afterwards. So you can be praying as well. Um, just a show of hands if you've already been baptized. I, I remember getting baptized over 20 years ago. 
And uh, what, what a moment. It, it's such a cool way to go public with your faith. Uh, but, but we're not doing it, uh, you know, downtown uh, with Freddie the Nude Dude. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not doing that. We're doing it in the river uh, around. Uh, it's still public, but with all of our uh, body of believers. And so it's people celebrating uh, what's happened. Even if you were saved years and years ago, but you haven't been baptized, we believe that's the next step for you. So let's do that. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. Yesterday, um, you know, baptize, it, it, it kind of means to dip or to immerse. Well, I wasn't fully uh, immersed yesterday, but I, I took a dip. And uh, so my father-in-law, uh, he asked uh, my wife and I, Kelsey, and, and our dog, Bruce, it's important for him to be included too, to go on a hike. Have you ever done the, the Fundy footpath or, or part of it? You, you've been to Fundy near Alma, but have you been closer to St. Martin's? Well, this was awesome. We got up early in the morning and we, we had packs on and, and ready to go. Um, he got this new pack because he's planning to do a much longer trip and he, he's using us to, to kind of warm up. But if you've ever had one of those big packs, we're like, oh, thanks. Did you, did you bring this item so that you know, we, could, we could sit on it later? No, I just wanted more stuff in my pack. Well, what about this item here? Why, like, why do you need an axe or a hatchet? Well, you don't want to know why you might need that. But okay, so he's just kind of getting used to carrying and he said his shoulders were a little sore. Or, uh, from carrying that. But what was kind of cool is, uh, you know, speaking of Waterside, which is coming up next week, when you're walking through the woods and you know, you can kind of smell and you can maybe even hear that the water is nearby and there's like a freshness to it. Uh, it's so nice when you get close to the water and you're, you're sweaty and you're just like, ah. Oh. So being by the water side is important. But we took a couple hours to get down to Little Salmon River. And then we walked up. I, I had water shoes on. Uh, I think, Scott, did you have water shoes on earlier? So my, mine weren't quite as stylish, but they were good. And so I switched from, from wearing you know, my hiking shoes and socks and stuff to wearing these water shoes. And they help a little bit. But then I realized, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get wet. Like, uh, I'm not just going to get my feet wet. Like, I'm going to get completely wet. And we met up with people after lunch you know, we had been hiking for a few hours now, and we got back onto a trail just off the river, and uh, we, we crossed this one section, and we can see people up ahead, and we asked them once they got closer, you know, like, what's the way like when, when you're, from where you're coming? And they said, well, you know, the, the water's up to, I don't, I don't know, here-ish, you know, Oh, 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 okay, that's, that's neat. So, you know, we had shoes on by this time. We're just like, we're going to get wet. And it's a hot day, and, and it's all good. But we went through a place called the Eye of the Needle. Not the biblical one, but the one that's, you know, funny. And so we went through there, but it's like waterfall coming down and creating this pool kind of eroding this spot in the rock where you go and, and you see the water. Well, uh, you know how cold waterfall water is. I mean, it's, it's refreshing, but it's it's refreshing, like it's cold. So we had like packs over our heads as we we're going. And yeah, I thought, you know, if you go through the center, that's usually the deepest spot. But like I thought, if I go near the side, maybe like it'll only be up to my waist. But no, it was deeper on the side for some reason. It was just one of those days. But the dog just swam through. He's a chocolate lab. He's, he's good to go. It was refreshing. And, uh, and we made it, and here we are. Uh, but it just, it just puts me in mind of summertime being by the water like that after 
a long season or, or walking through the woods and being all sweaty, uh, we're going to make it feel kind of waterside the next few weeks, and, and I'm really excited for the things we're going to look into. But we're, we're wrapping up the Father's heart today, and to kind of cap it off at the end of service, we're going to have the Lord's Supper together. We're going to have communion. So if you don't already have elements at home, uh, you know, you can pause at any time uh, to get those, but we're going to do it after the message and after a song. Uh, but we're going to just quickly recap. We're in Chapter 15 of Luke, and it's been really good. I've, I've learned more about chapter 15 of Luke in the last month or so than I, than I have even in Bible college. I, I, I love being in this um, context, and, and it's Jesus sharing this parable. We often call it the parable of the lost son or, or the prodigal son. There's different terms, but it's important to note that there are two sons. There's, there's a man with two sons, and we're about to look at the second, or actually the first son, the older son. But the context for it is in the first two verses of Luke, where it says that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. It's because Jesus is full of grace and truth, and they were really intrigued with what he had to say. And they also liked that he would stand up to some of the people that seemed to be off track of, of what really God's purpose was for all of us. And this, in verse 2, it says that this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, right, the experts, it made them complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them, which to eat with someone in that day and in that culture was to say that you, you guys are, are, are good. It's kind of an acceptance. So he gives these two stories about things that are lost. Remember the first one that starts with 100 sheep and then one goes missing. And so the shepherd, he'll, he'll keep the 99 in the sheep pen and he'll go after the one and not with his, with his staff to, to either hit, hit the thing or, or bring it back to actually put it on his shoulders and come back. And there's this picture of the celebration that happens when even one repents and returns or is found. It was lost, but now it's found and he wants to celebrate. And then the second one, it starts and there's actually 10 coins and one goes missing. And these aren't just a day's wage, although it is worth that, but we found out it's probably actually symbolic for this woman. It might have been a gift. She might have received these 10 coins, so there's sentimental value attached to it, this meaning for her wedding, and it's something where it's probably stability for the long haul, so if she's ever widowed, like she has some money to work with, and so she also doesn't want to lose this thing, but this thing can't be found on its own, and you can't blame a coin for being lost under something, and so she searches diligently after she, she lights this, this lamp, and she looks around, and finally she finds it. And in this one, it's kind of cool because she calls her friends and neighbors. She's like, I found it. Come, let's celebrate. And so she's probably going to spend that money on uh, celebrating. And then the point of, of that one is in the same way, there's more joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So he's setting us up. Remember, there's two groups that are listening to this. There's the people that love being around Jesus, those tax collectors and notorious sinners. Oh, just Isn't that awesome? They sound kind of rough. And then there's what's actually rough, too, is the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law. But really the point to, to get to the end of the message now is that, remember, Jesus is telling this to both parties. He is trying to teach, but he's trying to teach about the Father's heart. And remember, these are people that you could consider almost enemies of, of Jesus, people that were willing to hand him over to the Romans for him to be crucified. But the point here is that he's trying to say, no, like you need to know this. You need to know the celebration for the younger son, which we're about to look at. 
but also for the older son. The father goes out and pleads with the elder son to come into the feast. And so he's trying to say, no, this is for everyone. Would you just accept it? But would your pride get in the way, or would you lay down your pride and come into the feast? And so the Lord's Supper is a good uh, picture of that to come. We're going to skip a little bit of the story of, of the younger son to get to uh, the, the older son, which picks up in verse 25. And it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, so it's, it's interesting, he also returns home, but he's on the property, not in a distant land. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. I said last week, like, if you can hear dancing in a house, like, it's, it's loud, like, maybe, maybe consider your neighbors, you know what I mean? Are they tap dancing? I don't know exactly what dances looked like back then, but I don't think that they had speakers and things like that. But maybe music, maybe some of the servants could do this. So he returns to the house, and he asks one of the servants, what's going on? And I love the response. Your brother is back, not your father's younger son, right? He's your brother. Like, there's, there's a connection here. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. He knows his brother asked for part of the inheritance, which was a third based on our studies, right? The older son would have got two-thirds, the younger a third. He goes off to this distant land. What does he do? He squanders it. And the older son doesn't forget this. And so all of a sudden, his safe return, what do you mean safe return? He left. He took all, all his money and he's gone. And so uh, verse 28, where we pick up, the older brother was not happy. He was angry and wouldn't go in. And by wouldn't go in, so he, he's, he's returning home from a day's work, but he hears all this stuff going on. It's not for him. It's for his brother's safe return. He doesn't like it. So he replied, sorry, uh, so when he, so the older brother's angry, the father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. So he's saying, you know, I've done everything right, which sounds a little bit like the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. So right away, there's this comparison game, isn't there? This, this son of yours, not my brother, right? This son of yours, he goes off. He wastes all this money on these terrible things. We know this is a sin. This is awful. He's reminding his father of the scorecard. He's like, I have never done anything wrong. I've done everything you've told me to, but you've never done this for me. And so there's this interesting kind of thing going on, and you might expect the father, the whole time I think you're expecting the father in the story to say one thing or do one thing. I think the original listeners are thinking, well, first of all, he wouldn't have maybe given that money to the younger son. Second of all, he probably wouldn't have been running. Uh, third of all, you know, it just goes down this list of things the father shouldn't or wouldn't have done. And Jesus is saying, no, but he did. And so here he is again. He says, the father said to him, look, dear son. He doesn't scold him, which maybe some of us would want to. You have always stayed by me. So he's saying, you're, you're right. You haven't gone off to these distant lands. You haven't squandered everything on these things. And I love this, and everything I have is yours. Many that write commentaries and, and books on this say, like, no, that's, that's true, because 
by the father dividing it among the two sons. And yes, they still have something. It's not like they, they, they packed up and, uh, and they're just simply homeless now. No, he, he, they still have a business going on, but literally everything left would go to the older son. And so he's making a true statement here is that, no, literally everything, everything's yours. So maybe implied is like, you, you want to cook a goat and have some friends over? You're in charge, like do it. Like why, well, you know, you, did you ask? You, you, maybe you didn't ask too. So there's all these little things going on, but he's very kind. He's very patient with this older son. Everything I have is yours. And to conclude the whole chapter, we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother. Remember, we learned last week that uh, throughout the story, he's reminding the servants, he's reminding himself, he's reminding his own son. When the younger son returns, it's not, you know, this hired servant or this lesser than. No, my son has returned. And he's saying, let's celebrate, my son has returned. And remember, the older brother now is saying, this son of yours, yeah, he at least gets it that far, but he's not saying my brother. And so here, the father is making a point for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. That's why it's worth celebrating. Remember, the scorecard wasn't that he had gone, it wasn't so bad that he had squandered everything, which that's not good. He shouldn't have done that. But what was worse is that he was dead. The father's son was dead, and now by him returning and returning in the right way, the father's showing, like, now he is alive. That is the point. This is what Jesus is trying to say. And so as he's trying to plead with the older son to come into the feast, he's saying, no, you never did stray away. And honestly, everything I have is, is yours. He's saying these things. He's not correcting the son, although we know in the full context of Scripture, there's, there's no one that was without sin except for Jesus, the one communicating this story to these people and, and now to us. We know that's true. And so the point isn't like, yeah, you're right, you're without sin. That's, that's not the point. He's just making the point that, yeah, if I asked you to do something, you did. If I asked you to go out in the fields, you were, that's where you were today. You know, you did do these things. But here, there's actually some disobedience. And no, we must celebrate. This is not an option. It's your brother. Yes, it's my son, but it's your brother. We must come in and celebrate. We don't actually hear any more of the story, so we're left to wonder what is going to happen next. Remember, there's the tax collectors and the notorious sinners, and then there's the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law. Well, is it now up to them to interpret this if they're now angry and they don't want to come into the feast? The father's essentially saying, would you lay down your pride and come in? I'm, I'm willing to have you come in. And, and so this is kind of the, the point, the father's heart. Uh, Tim Keller offers this warning, and, it, and it's worthy of us. This isn't going to be a scolding session, but maybe a pleading to, if, if we have the spirit of an older brother, for us to lay that down and, and come in, and you'll see why in a second. He offers this warning. The first, it's actually a warning sign. The first sign you have an elder brother spirit is that when your life doesn't go as you want, you aren't just sorrowful, but deeply angry and bitter. You're thinking of other people right now. We're not thinking of ourselves. We've all met a few Christians who were deeply angry and bitter, and, and, and it, it, you know, that bitterness can spread, unfortunately, 
But let it be a warning sign to us. Let it be something prayerfully where we're considering this. We love to see ourselves as, as the younger child here who returned and the father welcomes. And oh, there's a celebration for me. This is awesome. We don't like to be the one in the field coming home and being irritated that the father's other son that squandered everything. Let me tell you the record of wrongs here. We don't like to be in that position. And probably the Pharisees didn't either, but remember the grace, the patience, the love that Jesus is displaying in this passage from himself and the father. And uh, when we look at the the feast that we're going to look at today, which represents um, the Last Supper, and which represents actually a final feast uh, at the end of, of, of time. Uh, remember, the Father is, is, is actually providing a way that anyone could come to that if they were willing to lay down their pride. So again, the younger brother, remember, he was dead and lost. Now he's alive and found. So that's not really true for the older brother, but you know what is? He's blind. We don't actually see the end of the story to find out if he decides, oh, you know what, Father, thank you. That's right, my my brother, I'm going to wipe the slate clean in my own opinion and thoughts and all of that, and I'm going to come into the feast, and I'm so glad my brother's back. You know, I'm so glad that he wasted our, you know what I mean? He could slip down into that pretty easily. We don't know, and so we won't make assumptions, but we know that at the end of the story here, there's time for a response, and there isn't one. We We don't hear what's next, and so maybe that's for the original listeners to decide, are they going to be bitter and angry, or are they going to lay down that pride? Are they going to actually be part of forgiving the younger son as well? Part of the problem that we looked at last week is that in this case, where the shepherd goes after the sheep, and the woman searches for the coin, the father doesn't go to a distant land. The father remains home, but he's, he's watching for his son. He's ready. He, he's ready to run to him. But a lot of people actually uh, imply that the older son here was the one that should have went after at his own expense to get the, the son back for the son's sake, but also for the father's sake to restore um, just even the respect of, of the father. But this doesn't happen. And so it's, it's somewhat implied. We don't see it um, explicitly here, but many that, that have studied the culture at the time say that that's probably what's going on. So again, the, the whole point for the, the younger son, and whether it's the, the, the sheep, the coin, the younger son, is that it, it was worse than, than just being you know, uh, missing or something like that. It's that they were dead. And then over here, when they return or they're found, they're, they're alive. And, and again, obviously lost. So that, that's the point, is that they were lost, but now they are found. And so for this older brother today, he is blind in what needs to happen. You know that song, Amazing Grace? We sing it. Uh, and, you know, I, twas, is that, is that the, the, the appropriate way to say it? Twas blind, but now I. That's the point, is for this older brother to move from being blind to seeing. He hasn't strayed away, but yet in his, in his understanding of his own father, in his heart, his feel towards his younger brother, something is broken there, isn't it? He hasn't strayed but he's blind to the Father's heart and, and to the, the overarching understanding of, of forgiveness found in, in the gospel. And so a question that we should ask ourselves is, do you think that being an elder brother is more 
spiritually desperate condition than being a younger brother? That's a question for small group. You can have a pop-up small group at any time. Maybe you want to just sit on that. But again, the point here is like, is it more of a problem? So it was one thing. It's really clear that the younger son, he, he, he left. He thought of his own father as dead, and he himself was as good as dead. But then when he returned home, he returned to life. And the father says, no, he was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. That's not true of the older Brother, but the older brother seems to be broken. He seems to be blind. And what if he could cross over to seeing? Is it worse that it's still unclear here? Is it, is it a tension? Is it unresolved? Does that bother you? It bothers me a little bit. I want to know more. And maybe that's the, the expertise of, of Jesus in, in storytelling here. Because the younger brother came to his senses, right? The younger brother came to his senses, but... The story of the older brother is incomplete, and we want to see something happen. We want to resolve. We want to restore, don't we? Or, or are we so frustrated at that type of person that we ourselves are like, no, let him stay in the field? That's maybe another warning sign for our own heart. Uh, to, to quote again another warning, if like the elder brother, you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you've worked so hard to obey him to be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper, your example, even your inspiration, but he is not your savior. You're serving as your own savior. This man, this older brother here, uh, he's actually saying, I've done all these things. You know, I should have earned something from this. But that's not the gospel message. And we see more of it beyond Luke 15. But this is the problem is that often older or elder brothers, they obey God to get things. They don't actually obey God to get God himself. Or in this case, they don't often obey the father just because he's the father. And that's the problem here to resemble him, to love him, to know him, and to delight in him. That was the point of last week, to spend time with our heavenly Father. This is where we get religion, uh, but not gospel. And that's maybe the move that has to happen, not just from blind to see, but from religious to gospel-centered. Religion is, I'll obey so that God accepts me or, or gives me something. But the gospel, on the other hand, is that I'm accepted because of what Jesus has done, his finished work on the cross. So I'll obey him because it's so awesome that he would love me that much. I'm transformed from the inside out. And so, yes, I'll obey. Not to get something from God, but he's done everything for me. And so I'll return to him. The Father has open arms. I don't have to clean myself up before coming home, but there is a requirement to be cleaned up before going to the feast. And so there is something that changes there. The gospel reminds us, actually both sons in, in a way are lost, but they need to be found. Both sons in a way are dead, but they need to be made alive. If they would only lay down both of their pride to come back to the Father, the Father is willing to embrace them but something has to happen. We know more of the story because of, of what Jesus has done. And again, communion is a great way to remind us physically, tangibly of what he has done. The gospel is not just good advice, is it? The gospel is actually 
good news about Christ, and it's good news for everyone. It's good news for us. Not just an invitation to do something, but a declaration of what God has done. It's not just a demand, but it's actually an offer. It's, it's an offer to us. We've looked at this a, a bunch, that the gospel is this good news announcement that the kingdom is here and it's near. Christ is restoring everything to the Father. Everything's going to be made new. And so you can actually join in this if you would repent, if you would turn from your sins and turn towards God. And so we've talked about that a lot, is that repentance is is kind of like you're going this way. Some think you're going towards sin, and then you have to turn from your sin, but not to nothing, but to actually walking towards Christ. Well, it's not just that. It's even better than that. The younger son in this story had this change uh, of heart, this change of mind, right? He came to his senses. Well, what we're hoping for with the elder brother is that he would come to his senses. And so if any of us have that kind of spirit today, would we come to our senses? It's not even turning from sin, although we might split hairs on, on what he's doing here and how he's treating the Father. But the point is actually come to our senses. Let's turn to the Father. The gospel is good news for everyone. The gospel is not just good news for the younger brothers, but for the older brothers too. And Jesus is trying to share this. Yes, like you haven't strayed away and everything I have is yours. This is good news for you too. Like we're going to come in and feast. And so part of this is the heart of the gospel. At the heart is for us to go as we go, as many of us will, will go beyond Marysville and go beyond Fredericton and go beyond. You know, we, we have people that we support in, in Japan. I think that's awesome. In South America. In, in Asia, there's different places in Africa that we support, and we often are reminded of, 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 of places even, even within uh, our continent that we, that we support, and our goal is to make disciples and to baptize them. And, and this is really good. Well, it's an opportunity to be an older brother, the good kind, like Jesus is the older brother for us. He's the one that's actually willing to go where the older brother in this story, he actually remains home serving the father faithfully. But he doesn't go after the younger brother, his, his brother, not just the younger son, but what if we could go after these younger brothers to bring them back to the father and they become our younger brother once again. And this applies to sisters just by the way. But it's a reminder of week one that we need to recalibrate our hearts to the gospel. It's that thing that Martin Luther was talking about many, many years ago is that even after people are often converted to Christianity and and they believe and they accept the gospel, somehow our minds and our hearts, they go back to operating on those other principles unless we deliberately and repeatedly set it to gospel mode. So what if today we needed to just press a little button that was gospel mode and instead of getting angry about these things and holding this record of wrongs of our younger brothers or sorry, our father's younger sons, right? What if we turned that language around? What if we could be like, isn't it great that we serve a father, that we have a father who calls us son if we receive Jesus. You know, he makes us, he adopts us into our family. And so this parable is, is one of those earthly stories with heavenly meanings, but it, it brings to mind another one that we're going to look at um, just in our, our last few minutes before communion. Um, what this made me think of, uh, I, I just love how parables do this, and, and sometimes they stand out for different reasons. Um, We'll read part of it, and and I'll bring you up to speed on on it, but it it just reminds me of something that the the older brother needed to learn, and Jesus was teaching it elsewhere in Matthew 20. And so he starts in the first two verses by saying, for the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner. Interesting that the father is a landowner too, and so maybe there's a parallel in your mind. 
who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. And so if you've heard this story before, you see that's not the only time he goes out. And so the landowner, his goal is to hire workers. He's got lots of work to do. There's no shortage. So this isn't about sons. It's about workers. But there's a parallel here. So he goes out early in the morning. Maybe that's six in the morning at this time. We don't have an Apple Watch to check per se, but maybe sundial or something. They know by the sun in the sky. So let's say that it's like six in the morning. And then he goes out somewhere around nine in the morning. So the second group of people, like, hey, do you want to work? I'll pay you the normal daily wage. Good. 9 a.m. they come. He goes out at noon. There's still people that aren't working, and he, he's got lots to do, so like, I'm going to put you to work. Come on. And then at 3 p.m., so kind of, or it's time for siesta, I think, you know, isn't it good for Wesleyan hour, about 3 p.m., give or take. Uh, put some baseball on and just fall asleep. It's great. Um, so around 3 p.m., he goes out again. And, and then finally, 5 p.m., and in this day, it's probably closer to 6 p.m. that the day is done, and so there's some that are out there by 11 hours now. And, and still, the, the ones that work about an hour, uh, he's, he's going to pay the same way. So when he, when he calls the foreman, the others don't know this yet. When he calls the foreman uh, to, to pay them, you see in verse 9. So he, he calls them, and then he says, when, when those hired at 5 o'clock were paid. So he starts with the last. When those hired at 5, when he began paying them, uh, those uh, each received a full day's wage. And you know where the story's going because the people hired at six in the morning are thinking, if they worked an hour and we worked 12, are we gonna get like 10 or 11 or 12 times the amount of a normal day's wage? Like, we could take some vacation. Like, we can go off to a distant land. This is great. But what happens? When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people, right, those people worked only an hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day, let's add this in, in the scorching heat. And he answered one of them, friend, I, I love, he's, maybe we see sarcasm, but perhaps Jesus is trying to communicate uh, some patience and, and grace here because he's the landowner, right? Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? That's the f- first thing that we read in verse two, right? Uh, take your money and go. That Again, we're reading it through 2022 terms, but take your money and go. I wanted to pay the last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? And the final little tag here, the final sentence that I want us to kind of ponder. Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? Do you think of the elder brother? I do. Uh, It takes me over there. Uh, You know, some people call this the parable of the vineyard workers or the parable of equal wages for unequal work. Sometimes that's true, and it doesn't seem or feel fair, but the father, or in in this case, the landowner, is trying to communicate. It's really Jesus trying to show us this, this earthly kind of story that has heavenly meaning, is that sometimes the last are first. And does that matter? Do we get any less because someone else is forgiven? Um, maybe our heart should, should change a little bit here. 
So when we get ready to look at the feast at, at the end of, uh, of Luke 15, remember, in every occasion here, uh, we must celebrate. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed. And then in the same way, there's more joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And then when the Father is, is saying it, we must celebrate a feast with a feast for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And he's even pleading with his older son, would you please come in? Your brother is safe. Of course he sw- squandered. the. Mo- of course he did that. And, and, and that stinks. He literally stunk when I br- accepted him back. But he was dead. That was the problem. He was dead and he's returned to life. Would you who are currently blind, would you see, would you, would you recognize your pride, would you lay that down and come in, please come into the feast. I want both of you at the feast. Everything I have is yours. And so a few reminders before we sing, the band can, can get ready here. The father has to go out and inv- invite each of them to the feast. It's not just the younger son, right? He's inviting the older son into the feast. That's a good reminder. The father actually cares for them and invites them both back in. And so it's easy for us to say, oh, the younger son is somehow better. Uh, that's not the case. They, they both desperately need the gospel. They both need good news. They both need acceptance from the father, even though they are disrespecting the father in different ways. The father is willing to actually clean the slate for that. If they would have that change of mind, if they would come back to him. And so the idea is like he's really challenging them. Would you swallow your pride so that you can come and swallow the fattened calf? Would you do that, right? The feast is that place where our appetites and our senses uh, really, we, we get to know, usually there, there's, there's sight because we get to see the elements. We, we get the, the smell and even the sound and the taste. They're all filled up. And so when we get to take part in communion after this song, uh, although we don't fell, smell uh, fresh bread necessarily, you know, we have a wafer and we have juice. It's still this thing that, that, that Christ himself instituted for us. We, we remember it. It's symbolic of what he's done. It's symbolic of, of the gospel's story. And so when we get to take part in this, I remember the way Pastor John used to say it to me is that, you know, this is a means of grace. You've already accepted grace, but this is a physical way to represent that represents something that that Christ has done for us. And so we'll come back in a moment to read this. But remember that our true elder brother paid our debt on the cross in our place. That's the point. And would we be an older brother who would Uh, Maybe if we were blind, would we come to the point where we see, we lay down our pride? Not only that, would we be willing on the Father's behalf to go after the younger brothers and sisters who have gone off to a distant land? Would we help the Father and would we plead to bring those children back to him? Father, we thank you for this. And in just a few moments as we look at this feast, this last supper, Uh, which is representative of of something you did uh, the night before you gave your life for us, which also represents something in the future, uh, a future hope to to be around a table that you set before us. And um, would you uh, help us to be ready for that? Would you help us to get others ready for that as well? And so as we just um, bask in your presence here today, Father, help us to really understand your heart. Uh, Change our hearts as well. 
Help us to swallow our pride if that's what we're dealing with. Help us to come to our senses. If, if we're still a younger brother, help us to come back from that distant land with a, a change of heart, with, with remorse, but help us to understand that you're willing to run to us to get us back. We pray all this in Jesus' name.